Welcome to the Beer Sec Ops Podcast. Yeah, I said beer. Some had to go to make room for beer, and it wasn't going to be sec, was it? And you know, we need those ops guys, so sorry, Dev. Beer Sec Ops, who will be having conversations with cybersecurity industry influencers and frontline DevOps warriors to help provide us with a cloud-native security blanket. To those who are treading lightly into our hazy DevSecOps world of rainbow shundering unicorns. Hello, hello, and welcome to BeerSec Ops. My guest today is Josh Kirkwood from CyberArk. Josh and I were having a discussion about the word, the phrase, DevSecOps, and man, alarm bells went off in my head, and I thought, I gotta get this guy on a podcast just kind of talking about that, because we both come from solution architecture backgrounds, and we both worked with 50 to 100 different different people and companies and enterprises kind of trying to integrate security into their lives and we've run into some some similar challenges just with trying to develop culture and adoption of security within those areas and he had a really wide understanding of the of the topic and the challenges within that so here we go josh kirkwood okay uh josh thank you for being on the podcast, if you don't mind, can you give listeners a little intro and a postcard as to how you got into the world of DevSecOps uh, up until up 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 to your current role today? Splendid. Well, thank you very much for having me out here. I am another one of these accidental DevSecOps folk. Um, my interest started with DevOps, and we, when we started doing DevOps, didn't know it was called DevOps. <laughs> Um, we, we got there. I, I always worked in service providers focused on infrastructure operations. Um, I came in as a knock engineer and essentially that is a warm body on a seat and left as an infrastructure manager slash architect, um, depending on whether I had responsibility for people that week or not. My interest in dev ops is from the not having enough money to staff to the level that we may have needed. Automation allows you to do more with less people, and we never had the money to do anything, so we really had to get good at doing it for free. Um, and we did that to offer a better, quicker, and more available service to our customers. My interest in DevSecOps is logical progression. I feel that whilst I dislike the term DevSecOps, I feel that the security part of the DevOps narrative is something that needs a little bit of love, mm-hmm. and that's what brings me here today. Okay, and you're currently with Cyber. I am currently employed with Cyberock. We are a security vendor. We have an interest in privilege access management, and I work as a sort of architecture resource for um, non-human privilege access management in dynamic workloads. Okay, that's really quite cool. When I asked you what you wanted to talk about, uh, I like it when somebody responds with something that is intriguing. Uh, You certainly did that. You said something along the lines of human access in a non-human world. That's correct. And uh, I like the idea that I think you also expressed uh, something I agree with, the idea of a fairly mature DevSecOps style um, potentially being incongruent with the lack of control over the humans. That's correct. I like the right-hand side of shift left. Um, Also awkward, but the conversation I was hoping we can have here today is discussing sort of the challenges of the people in DevSecOps, not the culture, the culture's looking good, and also how to demonstrate the value of DevSecOps out to a traditional enterprise security organization. Okay. Don't know where you want to begin. 
No, no, that's, it's a lot to unpack. We could probably be here for quite some time. But I'm going to take a step back on something you just said, and maybe you can transition that into the subject matter. I'm sure you can. Um, you don't like the phrase DevSecOps? Yes. Okay, why? <laughs> I, it, it comes from the assumption that throwing a word into DevOps suddenly makes it do it. <laughs> um, DevOps has been secure since before DevSecOps, sorry, yeah. but to start throwing the responsibilities of everyone involved in DevOps into the name of DevOps would result in titles that were too long for LinkedIn. Yeah. So I really think that you know, whilst DevSecOps is a great way of framing the segment of the market, all DevOps teams should be focused towards security, not just the guys who put sec between Dev and Ops. Have you seen or do you suspect that DevSecOps itself is becoming a silo? I could see a concern around it. Okay. I think we're doing better than we were around making silos. I've not seen DevSecOps teams working independently of DevOps teams. What I have seen is DevOps teams working independently of security teams. Oh, yes. And what I have seen is DevOps teams replacing security teams. Oh, Okay. Oh, could you expand on that? Not so much replacing in terms of, you know, uh, right, every security person, get out of the building, you're done. Okay. Um, I mean, just taking over responsibility for their own security. And, and in some cases, I think that that may, it may compromise their position and not make their lives as easy as it could. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it comes from the distrust of the DevSecOps title. I think that you have security engineers already, you have automation engineers, you have platform engineers, you have SREs, you have all manner of contributors to a DevOps team. We don't need more words, we need more doing. Good point. Yeah, I think I, I don't know who coined DevSecOps. I always had a, I always had a problem with it, uh, and maybe I can try and state it in a simple way. I, I liked the DevOps culture, and I just didn't like jamming something in the middle of a happy couple in a way. It's valid. I mean, look, no one put test in the middle of DevOps. No one no. put you know, platform in the middle of DevOps. It wasn't really needed. I, I always remember a, um, a presentation from Ken at ThoughtWorks mm. and he sort of just rants for 30 minutes about how DevOps is a culture, not a title, not a role, not a technology, not a thing you can buy. And I, I kind of want him to go do the same thing again, but with spec in the middle. Mm. And, and look, I respect anyone that's going to be putting themselves out there and branding themselves as somebody who's interested in DevSecOps. But, but I really hope that one day we can get past that. Excellent. Yes, I, I I hope my manager Benji, who's uh, I think title on LinkedIn is director of DevSecOps, is listening to this. He's going to keep my he car. Um, <laughs> he will. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I've seen I've seen all of that. I've I've been introduced to rebranded security teams who have said that I am the DevSecOps. Uh, lead. Uh, as much as I have asked for um, a raising of hands in a large group of people and said, who here is a DevOps engineer? And they all put their hands up. And I said, uh, is that a thing? So it's, it's, it's interesting that, uh, that this word is sort of gaining traction, I think, in a good way. But yeah. also there are elements where it's been mis- uh, misinterpreted. And what I kind of hope when they stop trying to pick the right name is that if we start thinking about security in the context of DevOps, we get to one of my points that I wanted to talk about, which is how do we demonstrate the value of it, prove the success? And interestingly, that's what risk organizations have been doing for a very long time. Okay. And and risk is a risk is something that a lot of people don't actually understand. Would you agree or not agree? I, I'd go with that. Okay. And certainly you need to there needs to be an understanding in order to prove it. So is it is it would you agree with that? And and so that's where I'd like you to elaborate on if that's what you can. So the thing that the DevOps world does 
brilliantly is metrify everything. Mm-hmm. But the thing that the risk world does brilliantly is metrify everything. And the risk folk are very able at turning work into numbers, proving a reduction, proving an increase. And the devil's folk are very innate when it comes to doing that. But as you said, because of the lack of full understanding around risk and, and the branding that it gets a lot of the time, I mean, training or, or learning how to address things in risk-centric language it is, is very far from what you would do normally in, in a team that's just trying to get uh, an application, a platform working. I think that's where your, your gap is. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that if people put the titles aside and realize that there's two teams focused on making, making metrics and causing an increase or a decrease in those metrics, you know, you might actually be able to get the risk side of DevSecOps or DevOps or whatever we're going to call it today wrapped. That is our DevSecOps nirvana. The nice thing about that is that suddenly you can start demonstrating business value mm-hmm. and suddenly you can start justifying why you need headcount or resource or even just agile artifacts, you know, user stories that include security terminology, um, essentially extra stories raised every time you raise a request to make sure that it's secure, to make sure that security testing is functioning, to make sure that the left-hand side of the pipeline is functioning and loved and paid for wherever appropriate. Right. And that's easier and better. It, to get people, well, to get the um, it's actually interesting. Along the same lines, yesterday we recorded one of these with Sam Bennion from OWASP, and he was talking about getting developers who largely think in terms of use cases to think in terms of abuse cases. So to say, as an attacker, I would um, put these malformed inputs into here. Uh, and and the, the understanding of risk contributes towards that sort of mindset. And Maybe not directly, but yeah, that, that's, that's, I that's enough. I the term abuse cases, by the way. <laughs> okay. That. Definitely. Now that's a word I can get behind. So this is where we get to your frightening lack of control over humans, perhaps? Yeah, oh, totally. So when we do go and play the risk thing, we start getting into policy. And you and I both know, and I think it's because of our combined experience working in vendors with a sort of security-themed play in this space, that if something's not enforcing policy, often policy is not followed. And if you want a cracking example of that, ask how many people truthfully follow a diet all the time. Yeah, the policy is you're not going to eat bacon because it's got saturated fats and salt and all manner of things you shouldn't have. But, you know, you've got a hangover, so you have a, a small sandwich, right? It happens. You bend policy to fit your requirements. And a lot of security is around enforcing policy. And when it comes to the, the right-hand side of shift left, you know, the human access into non-human systems, it is just enforced often by statements or roles that you're not meant to use that will be audited, that someone will look back and ask you why you did that. But that doesn't stop you from doing it at three o'clock in the morning or, or, or dealing with it when things aren't going right. So our ability to cut corners to give us an advantage. You know, we're, we're happy to do things the right way until it becomes a, a barrier. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm guilty myself when I worked in operations for tearing down barriers when they hindered me, when I had what I felt was a higher goal. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> in your own opinion. <laughs> totally. Um, yeah. But it was what I felt was best for the business at the time. And this may be troubleshooting on a live system by adding in a rule that turned off all the firewall. You know, IP allow any, any, because maybe it was a firewall. Or this could be, I can't confirm whether I did or didn't, repurposing hardware for the purposes of becoming a console server when 
a member of our security team decided we didn't need USB ports on our laptops, mm-hmm. disabled them using GPO. Uh, all, all sort of manner of times where I did something for the better of the business that wasn't in the world of security. And I think with an empathetic view of these human-centric edge cases, you can add a level of security that is able to tolerate an incident and deal with the worst situations while still being secure, while still generating an artifact to say that you've accessed it, to prove that the session you only did sensible things in, and to give you a view as to what a rollback plan would be. And a lot of my worldview is influenced by the fact that I've I've worked with privilege access management tools. And I don't want to sit here and harp on about what I do for a living, but but it gives me a view that I, I strongly believe plays Placing time into understanding how a user is going to log on to a system in, in a, sorry, a system they're not meant to log on to in, in a critical incident is a very valid investment of time. This could be uh, a different role in AWS. This could be um, a different tier of account if you are feeling Microsofty, or, or, or this could be finding a, a vendor with a, a solution for this, or just having something that you know essentially won't let you log into a jump box unless there is a pager duty incident relevant mm-hmm. or open, sorry pager duty incident happening at the right time. Something along the lines of that, you know, a, a way you can control people from doing it. Because if there is a path and you have that culture of bending the rules for the greater good during an issue, then as the the barrier of what an issue is lowers, you suddenly start finding yourself troubleshooting on live and issuing fixes to live and then not following the whole everything is code mantra that your DevOps team has got stuck on the wall and suddenly you're no longer actually following everything you're about. And especially if you are a DevSecOps professional, you're not going in with the, the thing you've named yourself. And I think in the event of a, perhaps a lack of a solid incident response policy, then uh, panic can lead to all sorts of improvisational behavior. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, often an incident response, response policy is not built with security in the loop. <laughs> yeah. Because they're two very separate things. An older security culture may that sort of focused around the opposite of the guardrails, not gates mentality, the, the gate folk, the guys that want no to be the default answer, right? might find themselves you know, restricting an incident response policy because it, it's not secure. But Again, with a little bit of workload empathy, you might find a healthy and sensible balance. Mm-hmm. Okay. So do you think um, that, I'm going back to the frightening lack of control, as we've moved towards the, the DevOps culture and we've increased the amount of autonomy that we've handed over to developers and, and to, to have the op- operations, and, and we, we're, we're kind of trying to get them to take on this security Awareness. I'm just going to say awareness. Actually, how how is it we're going to? Do you have any advice as opposed to just saying this is a worry as to how we can go about trying to make that work better? Um, The human side. I I can draw a parallel to something, and and this might be a parallel that gets edited out. (laughs) No problem. Um, But I I liked it as an example. I heard someone lay reference to it once. Uh, So. In the 70s, there was a cottage industry around um, trafficking drugs where you could find somebody that would take your car or the thing that you were going to move the drugs in and hide the drugs for you in it as a service. That guy would then phone you when you got to where you were going and tell you where the drugs were. For a lot of people, that was a way of not getting caught because if they didn't know where the drugs were in the car, then no one else could find them. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of the attitude I had around automation, not that I was on drugs at the time, 
but that if I couldn't go behind the curtain or, or get, you know, or that wasn't something that I would be doing, then it was probably secure and probably fine. There's a whole uh, new sort of Phoenix Project chapter around relating exactly. drug dealing to uh, <laughs> securing I, I DevOps. We're getting very close to um, Freakonomics here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't think anyone wants the Phoenix Project too. <laughs> it's coming out, isn't it? Is it? Oh, God. There's a unicorn project, I think, that's coming out. I don't know if you've seen that. This is where I'm going to admit to something that I, I seldom admit to in public. I, I had to skim read the the Phoenix Project. <gasps> I know. I am currently handing in my DevOps badge and gun. Yeah. It's quite <laughs> concerning that someone gave us a gun when we joined DevOps, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, I, I think that we get very complacent in the fact that these systems that are automated aren't doing things that we don't understand behind the scenes. Oh, sorry, aren't doing things behind the scenes that we don't understand. It was it was interesting. I I was there's another podcast that I other than obviously my own that I like listening to called the CISO Vendor uh, Podcast. I don't know if you've ever heard of that one. I'm not a podcast guy, if I'm being honest. Ah, oh, well, neither on one. You're going to have the bug, but it, oh, yes. it's. It's um, it's one where a bunch of CISOs, one of them is one of the former guys from Lyft, they basically sit there and pick apart um, vendor pitches. Like they'll, they lick it the way, the way they're, they're at and they just rip it to bits. It's hilarious, particularly okay, when you yeah, work for a vendor. I'm sold, by the way. I'm absolutely <laughs> sold. And, uh, but one of the things, they had a guest on there who, who, who said shadow IT is IT. Okay, stop right. calling it shadow IT. Absolutely. I've been just, in organizations where Slack isn't approved. <laughs> Slack yeah. is not an approved business tool. I said, oh, so how do you get around the message limit? And they said, oh, we pay for it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hold on a sec. You're going to have to help me with this. Yeah. So you've got a thousand plus users in Slack. It's not an approved business tool, but someone pays for it. Could take a wild guess, probably about $10,000 a month, and they're happy to pay for it. Yeah, yeah, it, it's just not a business tool, and that ties in exactly with what you said. Shadow IT is IT. Yeah, yeah, and I think when people realize this is just when when developers find a way to innovate, and there are blockers, and they find a solution that people that works, they're just going to use it. And then the most creative thing on earth is a developer told no, right? Yeah, that's right. Everyone else is out there looking for 10x developers. I want a bunch of relatively sharp dudes sitting in a room with a PM that just sits there telling them, no, you can't do that. Isn't, isn't there kind of a, it sounds like a, an old wise tale or a folklore about uh, Microsoft or Bill Gates always asking who the laziest developer was and, and giving him, because they knew he would be the most innovative at, at automating something? <laughs> sounds about right. <laughs> I mean, again, we automated because we couldn't afford not to and we really loved sleep that was the yeah. other side of it and the more automated your systems are and the more they work the more you can sleep absolutely and as you've just put it when you eliminate humans from the equation you get some reliability in terms of being able to implement security and the controls around that yeah yeah i'll give you that um so humans are the problem that's what we're coming down to isn't it no humans just need to be rationed when it comes to systems ah ra- did you say rationed i'm saying rationed i like that word you know, there there is an appropriate amount of human involved in any given platform, program, tool, thing, whatever we're calling it. It's just making sure that appropriately rationed and liberally managed with automation. All right. I like that. We need a t-shirt with that. Appropriately, uh, I'd say it again. <laughs> appropriately rationed people? Something like that. Yeah. Heavily automated something like, I don't know. It's a good thing we're recording this because I can go back and listen to what, what that phrase what you just said. Uh, yeah. I hope um, this doesn't turn into a bumper sticker. 
Yeah, yeah, it's good. It was a little bit like I was working with a um, uh, a Scandinavian customer who will remain nameless, uh, but he uh, he was the new head of security, and he, he said, "Oh, all my my developers have autonomy, but I call it earned autonomy. <laughs> They're allowed to do whatever they want, provided they don't f it all up." <laughs> and then I start to put security controls on them. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I, I mean, that's kind of a wargaming exercise, right? You, you put mm-hmm. them in a room, you say you can do what you want, and then you look to see which thing they screw up first. Yeah. I, I, the risk professional in me, I think the word screams internally <laughs> doesn't cover it enough to describe that. Well, we've seen, it, we've seen it all. I think we have a very similar role, so we do see a lot of different... I guess it's an advantage of, of what we do. We're, we, we, we get the plus of getting to see 50 to 100 to 200 different versions of how DevOps development, DevSecOps is implemented. Yeah, absolutely. And a, a lot of what we both do is replaying essentially a Reader's Digest or a Greatest Hits of things we've seen, things that work, things that don't work to find a really nice way of approaching roughly the same challenge. And, and of course, learning um, or attaining the great gift of um, speaking softly and telling people that they're right, but there might be a better way. That's the one. <laughs> I mean, no, no one wants to change the product of their beautiful hard work. Yeah. But more often than not, you have to acknowledge that sooner or later we all make a, a decision that puts us in the wrong way. And that for every best practice that's come along, there's been at least 50 worst practices, curate worst practices for the avoidance of doubt. Yes. There's a, so that, that's going to lead me to, I, I'm try, by the way, I, do, I try and keep these things to like half an hour. Um, some people some people manage to blow it out of the water. So I'm just looking at the clock. I'm curious about, off the back of what we just said, I'm going to ask you about the idea of best practice practice in cloud native deployments. And the reason I'm asking that is because, and I don't want to catch you out, is because we get, I get asked all the time about, like, we, we want to secure containers. We want to, we want to, we want to integrate all of these tools and you guys are there, we're there. This is the tool chain. Show us best practice. And there's kind of a moment where I have to go, this is pretty cutting edge. Like, we haven't got to the 50 worst practices yet. Where I'd like to go now is, is that cloud native best practice? And have we reached the, what did you, was it 50? You just said the, the I think in, 50. you're curating. I, think, you got I haven't to see got an exact wrong. number, but for the ones about, I do actually tweet on the handle worst underscore practice. Because, nice. um, you know, in reality, I talk about best practice all day and some of the things I do in my own lab test environments is definitely nowhere close. Yes. Yeah. Well, if we learn from our failures, you're a genius. <laughs> I failed enough. <laughs> but I, I think that's where I'm going. Like we play now in the cloud native space and we talk about best practices and we talk about DevSecOps. But in order to for us to convey best practice, we 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 in fact have the luxury of seeing many worst practices. Yeah. But I don't know that we're at, I don't know personally that I have seen so many that I can com- confidently walk in with that Reader's Digest best of yet. There's a few things that stick out for me. Yeah. The first thing I'd say is that many organizations have high-level best practice across the entire thing. Uh, I'm going to use the term multi-cloud or you know, mm-hmm. a cloud-agnostic approach, and then that's what the architects are shouting from the highest point in the highest building. And then when you get down to the edge development, no one's doing that. Yes. Um, so, so there's a sort of like comfort in f- you know ignoring what the organization's overall goal is because you feel you can do it better. That's the first like, oh, okay, moment for me. The next one I'm going to go with is pipelines. I'm sure there's some presentation somewhere where somebody stands up on stage and says, pipelines, more is more, right? Mm -hmm. 
if you can have six pipelines do the job of one pipeline, let's do that. Yeah. And, and <laughs> what DevSecOps appears to have boiled down to at the moment is having one or is having as little number of good pipelines with as much security controls that are empathetic and functional on it as possible. Mm, yeah. Sorry, it's a horrible summarization of a world. Yeah, I, I've seen, I have seen that. I have seen from one extreme to the almost the other extreme, where there's no security in the whole CI/CD. It's 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 basically based on speed, and then the ability to recall when security is found after the fact. What, like a giant hindsight machine? Like a, like a giant what? Hindsight machine, something that just goes, I should yes. have done that. Nah. That's it. It's a Customer giant. It's out there now. You got it. It's like a giant hindsight machine. I've been in an organization where they're asking us, okay, well, how can you tell us what we just did is bad? And the reason for that is because the way that they deploy, and I, I'm not going to mention who it is, but they deploy in this very, you know, in your canary in a coal mine kind of way. And they're, as they're testing functionality and moving out, they know it takes them, they, they, they can get code checked in and out that or in minutes and it's being deployed. But actually, to be completely deployed across any high-risk area takes a long time. And so they want to know how long will it take you to tell us that we should actually slowly pull that back again. Oh, so so they're doing something that basically starts screaming that you've done wrong before it gets to the point it's deploying it. Well, no, it's already deploying it, but it's deploying it in a very safe, in, a, in, in almost in a sandbox, in a safe place where they think it's fine, like it's deploying it at night in some part of the world. Okay, so I'm going to swap pipeline with nuclear power plant. Okay. And then say, so what's happening is the fuel rod are being rammed into the uh, reaction chamber, but it's fine because there's really good cooling on it, so nothing can possibly go wrong. Maybe. Uh, that sounds that sounds extreme. It sounds a bit dramatic. I'm just kind of wondering whether the, approaching that as a, we can stop it if it's wrong. Yeah, it's it's essentially we can stop it if it's wrong. And they have enough metrics, as you would probably enjoy, to suggest mm-hmm. that they have like a 99.99% success rate of deployment. So they know that when it goes wrong, it's only a 0.001, and they know they have the speed in place to withdraw. So okay. they almost put no security in order, and and they know they can release features at an incredibly high speed. So that, and by the way, the place I'm talking about is a massive company you've definitely heard of. <laughs> Yo, so I'm I'm probably alienating their entire DevOps team with anything I say. <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, but it's interesting. It, it's, I think it's interesting. I, there was a talk that um, some of my former colleagues did uh, at an AppSec in Florida, about, specifically about this style of deployment. And it was like, wow, okay, I wouldn't. Oh, there, I, I, and I, it's, I think it's a very unique type of organization that has to do something like this. But that is that is one total opposite extreme of, of having a very secure CI/CD pipeline. I can see that, and I, I don't mean to to sort of rubbish what they're doing. My, my only concerns are if there's no like actual control upon what they're doing or, or thing saying, hold on. No, mm. that maybe rather than the malicious activity being, and I'm going to use malicious here, mm-hmm. you know, being a change to code that results in something that could leak customer information. Instead, it's just the deployment of things that should be private into very public places. If they're a cloud customer mm. and they're deploying to a cloud environment and they say it's very safe and secure, what happens if that deployment, the first thing it does is IP any any on a network security mm. group? There are risks. There are. And again, there are there's, risks. there's no right fit to this, you know, as you rightly called out, best practice is 
just not really there yet. But I think there we're are getting, now we're getting better. enough controls out there that won't screw up that velocity, that sweet, very quick deployment or, or very quick build cycle, but still call a... <sighs> not going to let you do this because you're doing something a little crazy there, mate, which is probably safer for them than someone saying, ah, you screwed up a little there, mate. Yeah, I think somewhere in the middle uh, is the answer, isn't it? And maybe we're not there yet, but the old tools that, that slow down and provide hurdles within and gates for the gate people, that's gone. And then I think as a maybe a rebellious reaction in this organization is basically put all the security tools out of band and get them assessing us in that hindsight fashion. But the reality is those guys would use would use security tools in band if they were invisible and they were doing their job and they could stop. And, and that's, I think, where when we talk about the design of a good security tool. And yeah. we talked about some of this with Liz Rice. She's like, usability is critical and ease of use and ease of implementation, ease of integration is where our tools have to get better. Yes. Call that out in a heartbeat. I, I might just say, though, that we do get lost that deployment time is the most important metric. And I, I think that sometimes a bit too much value is applied to that. And I say that as someone who used to be obsessed over it. How long does it take me to get this release? How, how quickly can I get this code in front of my customers? Well, it's a bragging right. You, you Most yeah. of the DevOps places, at least one talk at any DevOps conference has somebody, I think the one I, one I saw recently was Channel 4. I think it was a Channel 4 or Love Island, whatever that one was. And I was impressed to hear that they, I think there's four minutes or something like that from checking in code to it being deployed. Four minutes from Channel 4. And it was, and I thought, really? <laughs> My favorite one I ever saw, and I think it was a punishment to the guy who did it, but Daily Motion were talking about their monitoring and what they were doing to get better at it because they had somebody had accidentally deleted the entire production platform. And they made him go around presenting this story, right? Which I think is the most brilliant thing ever. I think that yeah. all punishments should be like that. Yo, you screwed <laughs> up. You now have to submit this CFP for, to 40 events and attend every single one that accepts it. Yes, this, this boot note must be on there. And he's sitting there presenting, yeah, it took us 90 minutes to resolve this outage, 17 to work out what had gone wrong, two minutes to redeploy. And they were trying oh. to clean up that 17 minutes. And I was oh, that's quite good. Yeah, two minutes. Damn, damn. And this is from, you know, <laughs> Daily Motion was just not responding. I think there was DNS lookups happening and being answered, but that was it. And wow. Then, yeah, and that was two that's minutes from nothing to live. Congratulations. Obviously, everyone's like, oh, how do we get these 17 minutes down? I'm like, where do you guys collect your metal to say two minutes on deploying the production environment? <laughs> but, but if that was a 10 minute deployment, even in that situation, everyone would still be going, nice 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and if those extra eight minutes were spent improving the security of the site or having proactive controls that could prevent code from having the action in it that caused it to delete everything, maybe the outage would never have happened. Wow, yes. And we'd still be impressed by the 10 minute deployment time because there's no deployment leaderboard and we have no context for whether four minutes is fast or slow for Channel 4. Their no. entire streaming platform could be one of those Azure services where you put the credit card in one end, the video content in the other, and you throw your consumers at it. And four minutes to provision that could be the series of eight clicks required to provision it on the UI. Yeah, it could be considered slow. We don't know that. And I think it's a metric we could look to move past. Okay. Uh, so, Josh, is there anything I've not allowed you to talk about? I've been talking too much. <laughs> it's been good. I'm pleased. I'm sure there's at least three things in here that will cost me standing, reputation, or potential employment with someone. So, you know, yeah. hopefully it's interesting enough. No, it's been, I think it's all been, it's all been really good. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not going to get you in any trouble. Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me out on this one. No problem. I can get you back when you just fire me a subject and you think, I just saw this, I want to talk about it. Then you can come back whenever you want. That'd be splendid. 
And that has been this episode of Beer Sec Ops Podcast, powered by Aqua Security. I've been your host, Steve Jaguar. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.